Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason, and I've got Stewie joining me today. Nice to have you back. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm back, baby. Um, good movie to be back on as well. Very excited to talk about it. Had a little bit of COVID, had a little bit of the old super flu. Feeling a little bit rough. Unfortunately, I missed King Richard last week. Great movie, but uh, you and Kieran did a bang-up job, mate. I enjoyed listening to it, and uh, I think I'd like to attribute it to my uh, return to health. <laughs> well, thank you very much for tuning in, and let's get started into this week's episode. We're taking a look at Borg versus McEnroe. It's a film based on true events, taking a look at the 1980 Wimbledon Championships and focusing on the professional rivalry between then world number one Bjorn Borg and then world number two John McEnroe, culminating in the men's singles final, which is widely regarded as one of the most dramatic tennis matches of all time. Throughout the film, we see the documentation of each of the players' lives from juniors to the current day and how they go about their business all winding up to the progression of Wimbledon in 1980 and the final, which went to five sets, which Bjorn Borg won uh, and was a record fifth straight Wimbledon title. So having watched this movie, Stewie, what did you think about it? Uh, what parts of it did you like? And if there was anything that you didn't like? Well, I know uh, millions and millions of listeners right now are waiting for me to just... Uh, <laughs> go to town on this movie and 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 say how good it is, but uh, quite the opposite. Fantastic movie, um, largely underrated. You know, obviously we do a bit of research for this podcast and uh, I jumped on just to see how it did when it was released and the box office and stuff like that. And I was shocked to see um, that a movie made on such a small budget um, failed, to, failed to make the money back, especially if you take the time to watch the thing. It's brilliant from the first second, you're fully invested in the two main characters um, and, and, and you just you just ride that the whole way through. I, I, I don't really have a lot of bad things to say about this movie, which may shock you and the listeners. <laughs> it definitely comes as a bit of a shock to me. Um, obviously, this was a good selection. Obviously, um, I heard your call and you were calling me out a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, so good to know that I've picked a movie that you enjoyed and have nothing bad to say about. Um, but, yeah, I think to your point that you were really, uh, that you said about you're really invested in the characters right from the start. I think that's definitely true and really reflective all the way throughout the movie as well. Uh, I think for me, like you definitely got an insight into the characters themselves and just sort of how they operated and how they, um, you know, went about their tennis, went about their home life, their family life and um, their upbringing all the way up to the 1980 Wimbledon championships. And I think that, yeah, all throughout the movie, you know, you sort of, uh, there's like a deep dive, I think, into the psyche or like the emotions and the feelings between these two players, especially. And I think that that sort of really allows you to sort of like ride the wave of, um, you know, that 1980 Wimbledon um, and each of the games that they played and become sort of, yeah, invested in those characters as the build-up happens to that final. And then even in the final, you know, you had, um, you know, when Bjorn Borg won, you had him celebrating, you know, I think he had both players sitting on their um, seats after the game had finished. And he had Bjorn um, Borg sort of like celebrating, fist pumping, and just looking, you know, pleased and taking um, photos, um, having photos taken of him. And then, you know, you counteract that with 
John McEnroe, who's sitting on his uh, seat, you know, hunched over, he's got a towel drooped around his head. And in both of those scenes or both of those moments, I felt myself like drawn to those characters and how they were feeling. I was like, you know, I feel sadness for John McEnroe. I feel delight for Bjorn Borg. So I think that that the movie was really good in being able to do that. Yeah, it was uh, it was masterfully done the way that they they kind of got you invested in the characters. I mean, for a certain age group, I'm sure that that kind of groundwork isn't necessary because you know they know about Bjorn Borg, they know about John McEnroe. But for people that maybe aren't too familiar with the characters, um, I think they did a fantastic job of uh, you know giving you a fully rounded picture of who they are. You talked about. Um, you know, uh, getting an insight to how they were off the court. And I, I mentioned this to you off mic just before, that uh, it, it was kind of fascinating to me. One of the things I found fascinating was, uh, you know, Borg um, was very calm, very even-tempered, very controlled on the court, whereas McEnroe very much wore his heart on his sleeve. And it was, uh, it was interesting to see how that filtered through into their personal lives. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how... 100% accurate the movie is obviously but um, the way it was portrayed was um, you know Bjorn Borg uh, really struggled in his personal life and it, it makes you wonder if if that's got to do with him holding things inside so much because you counteract that with uh, with McEnroe who's very much hard on his sleeve maybe not appropriate but you know felt his feelings which is what you're supposed to do and uh, then off the court, you know, he had a tight relationship with his dad, always had friends around. Um, his brother was with him constantly, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I just found that fascinating. I think you uh, you surmised the world when you said you, you kind of ride the wave of emotion with both of the players as the, as the movie and the tournament progresses. Yeah, I think that their on-court rivalry, you know, you mentioned there about the different sort of temperaments and playing styles and, um, Borg was known for sort of being that cool, calm, um, and even sort of emotionless, um, having a bit of an emotionless demeanor on the court. Nice man. Nice yeah. man. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had the fire, um, which was McEnroe, and he was famed for all of his on court tantrums as well. It's the perfect rivalry the baseline player and the net rusher. Uh, the only thing standing between Borg and that record is you. You and Borg are as different as two people could possibly be. Is he backstage or something? Is he gonna like jump out of the cage or something? McEnroe is the bigger talent, but playing Borg is like being hit by a sledgehammer. And I think that, yeah, I think for me, like you, you mentioned before as well, how um, the film might have done a really good job at explaining who these people were to people who might not know exactly who they were. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of what people know about say John McEnroe especially is his tantrums and I think that you really like get that just from the start I think the first sort of major full scene that we see of John McEnroe is of him like yelling at an umpire mm -hmm. so like you know you're able to sort of have those connections between what you think that you have like or what you think you know or you know you might have heard throughout the years without fully focusing on knowing who they are especially um, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I think that, and I mean, his, um, you know, you cannot be serious tantrum, uh, <laughs> in the semi-final, I think it was. Ow. Excuse me. 
wasn't on this side of the line, Mr. McEnroe. How? The ball? The, the chalk flew up. The ball has been ruled out. Excuse me? It was a good call. It was a bit of a scramble. You can't be serious. You cannot be serious. It was a the good ball was on the line. Chalk flew up all over, man. The chalk flew up. He saw it. That's why he's walking all over it. Everyone saw it was in. You cannot possibly call that out. I'm going to issue you a warning for unsportsmanlike behavior, Mr. McEnroe. Um, yeah, like that's a famous outburst. Um, I had a look at actually the real life footage from that as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And yeah, like, you know, made a bit of a uh, comparison between what was in the movie. And I think we'll talk about it a li little bit later as well. But like, there are some, you know, little differences between, you know, what was said and just like the movements of McEnroe and um, Shia LaBeouf, who plays John McEnroe in this movie. Um, so like, in a way, I think like, you know, Shia LaBeouf like sort of made the character his own as well, um, mm -hmm. while, you know, still focusing on certain aspects of the actual real life John McEnroe. And I'm sure that, um, you know, Bjorn Borg, the actor who played him, um, Severe Gunderson, was the same, um, you know, like, so it didn't really feel like they were playing, uh, you know, it didn't really feel like their portrayals were an exact sort of replica of, the players um more so that these actors were playing these characters in their own way um but it was still coming across really well yeah you've got to wonder if um i think it's a swedish film association or swedish film board or something that yeah so it, the production was between sweden denmark and finland yeah so those scandinavian countries you wonder if um the actors um freedom i guess you should say to kind of adapt these characters, these famous people as well, that a lot of people know already, and kind of tweak them to fit their style of acting, I suppose. I wonder if that freedom was given to them because it was a bit of a smaller budget and it wasn't a big Hollywood uh, Hollywood production. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that. I just wanted to, I just wanted to say that. But I do have a question for you, Jess. Okay. <clears throat> would you, if you were a tennis player, would you be? Uh, would you be the fiery John McEnroe or would you be the Iceman? I reckon I'd get a bit fired up out there, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> I thought you might say that. <laughs> How about yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, oh, Jesus, I get fired up on this podcast, mate. I'd be, I'd be no hope if, uh, if I was out there playing professional sports. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do have a bit of information in saying that many of John McEnroe's complaints and rages on the court were accurate. Um, so Shia LaBeouf was very accurate in that. And I've got a little bit tidbit here as well saying that McEnroe's kids like to have fun by showing clips where he goes crazy, like cursing at the umpire or destroying rackets. So it's good to know that John McEnroe's <laughs> kids have a bit of fun with uh, seeing his tantrums. What a, what a, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but what a turnaround from McEnroe as well, from being like, like I know he was world number one and everything, so his talent, talent was never in question, but uh, for him to be kind of the voice of tennis now, like he, yeah. he's a commentator and uh, my girlfriend was telling me that he's, he's the narrator of um, of some show that she watches as well. Like um, he's, he's really like, he's got a career in media now and, you know, there's, there's the scene in the movie um, just before the final when they come down and say, I'll oh, turn the mics down when McEnroe's near the microphone, you know, yeah. it's, it's a tremendous turnaround. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting to see sort of where, or like, yeah, as we sort of said all throughout 
the podcast so far about like what we know of McEnroe and his outbursts and sort of, yeah, how, where we see him now um, mm-hmm. and is, you know, very highly regarded in uh, the tennis circles and the tennis world and obviously commentating. And I think there was a scene in the movie as well. Um, I don't remember like the player who was talking to him, but it was like, you know, you're not going to be remembered um, for your tennis. You're going to be remembered for your outbursts and, you know, no one's going to care if you end up winning Wimbledon or anything like that. Like they'll remember you for this, this, this temper that you have. Mm. Um, and like, while that is still true, I guess it's good to know that he has also yeah made a proper career out of himself. Um, yeah, yeah. And away from, away from all of that. Yeah. I think, I think you can be remembered for both because, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> You know, the first thing that springs to mind is uh, you cannot be serious. Whenever you hear John McEnroe's name, I just think you cannot be serious and, and yelling at the yelling that at the umpire. So, uh, you know, also world number one, uh, respected media guy. You know, so you know, yeah, it's good. It's fantastic. Yeah, um, we'll just go into like a little bit of the rivalry, I guess, between uh, John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. They met 14 times on the regular tour and 22 times in total between November 1978 and April 1981. Their head-to-head um, on the regular tour was an even seven and seven. Um, so they were pretty close together um, in terms of, you know, who won what. Uh, but, um, but they only met each other four times in a Grand Slam. Um, which Borg won one time and McEnroe won three times. And so that first meeting at Wimbledon in the final in 1980 was uh, Borg's first uh, Grand Slam win over McEnroe and first and only. Um, So McEnroe won the US Open against Borg in 1980, won Wimbledon in 1981 against Borg, and then won the US Open in 1981 as well over Borg. So that was their Grand Slam history, but like I said, um, they played each other 14 times in official matches and it was an even seven and seven. So I didn't research this, so this could be wildly inaccurate, but I imagine that it's not. At the end of the movie, they mentioned that um, McEnroe defeated Borg the following year in the Wimbledon final, became world number one, and then Borg retired. Yeah, um, Borg retired shortly after that because um, they played each other in the... Um, 1981 US Open, which was after Wimbledon. Of course, yeah, um, yeah. okay. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's kind of interesting. Was Only actually, 26 too. That's yeah, wild. so it was actually a few years after that 1981 season or circuit um, where Borg uh, retired. It was in 1984 that he retired. Um, he did have a mini little comeback, um, mm-hmm. an attempted comeback, I guess, between 1991 and 1993. Um, oh wow okay but couldn't keep up um too much he was in his sort of mid 30s um and yeah never really didn't win any other titles um and after that comeback but uh Mm -hmm. yeah he tried to go around again which is pretty cool yeah it's interesting interesting that he retired um in his mid mid to late 20s and then tried to make a comeback in his 30s you know um like these days, mid thirties is kind of you can still be in your prime in your in your mid thirties, you know. Yeah, I so. think it's I think it's pretty interesting as well because I mean, I look at a stat like that or you know something like that where Borg retired when he was twenty six, 
And I sort of, um, you know, look at Ash Barty as well, even this uh-huh. year. And uh-huh. so, you know, she retired in March this year. Mm-hmm. And that was when she was 25. It was a year before, it was a month before she turned 26. And so I sort of like look at that and feel like they're the same. Um, it also makes me, you know, cross my fingers for an Ash Barty um, come back in 10 years time. Um, but yeah, uh-huh. I guess like... Bjorn Borg, um, like I obviously don't know his reasons for retiring um, in the first place or anything like that, but I feel like, you know, maybe it was similar to Ash in that, you know, she just won, um, you know, the Australian Open, um, she'd won Wimbledon, she'd won the French Open, all this sort of stuff, and just thought, you know, I've done everything that I want to do now, and maybe that was the mentality for Bjorn Borg as well at the time. I don't know, but... It's just a thought that I had. <laughs> Got to be honest, mate, and this could be one of the hottest takes ever on this podcast, but I am absolutely not an Ash Barty fan. Um, yeah, I'll just, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to get abused on social media, but, uh, you know, just like you look at women's tennis and who the dominant forces were in tennis and, uh, you know, Ash Barty doesn't really measure measure up, in my opinion. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, so we'll just look at a bit more of the historical aspects of it or, you know, what we sort of saw in the movie um, that may have differed in real life or not. Uh, I think that the only things that I found, like I couldn't find anything that sort of really suggested that the movie strayed too far away from what actually happened. Um the only couple of things that I could find is that Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe's shirts, socks, and tracksuits have no logos. And so presumably a deal could not be struck with Feeler, which was worn by Borg, or Sergio Ticini, uh, which was worn by McEnroe. Did you did you find out anything about the white tennis balls they were using? I did. <laughs> I did. Okay, because that, <laughs> that, uh, that was really distracting me while I was watching the movie. So, yeah, I did. Uh, this took me by surprise as well uh, while watching the movie, seeing white tennis balls as opposed to the yellow tennis balls that we see uh, uh-huh. at the moment. And so it did force me to do a little bit of research because I was like, oh, like, yeah, um, you know, obviously I haven't really experienced a tennis game having white tennis balls before. Um, yeah. And it was funnily, uh, and it was a bit funny to learn as well that David Attenborough, uh, sorry, Sir David Attenborough. Uh, we'll use the correct title. Um, had a bit respect of, on his name. Yeah. <laughs> had a bit <laughs> of a say about the change from white to yellow. Really? Yeah. So we'll okay. go into it. Um, we'll go into it. So when lawn tennis was introduced in the late 1800s, either white or black tennis balls were used, and they continued to use it until the 1970s. Um. The sport continued to use white tennis balls, but with the introduction of color television, it meant it was harder for viewers to pick up the flight of a white ball and when it clipped the white lines of a tennis court. And so it forced the International Tennis Federation to look at alternative colors and they approved fluorescent yellow, known as optic yellow, in 1972. However, and bearing in mind that this takes a look at 1980 Wimbledon, Mm -hmm. Wimbledon took another 14 years before they finally saw the light in using 
yellow tennis balls. Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know, all, all Wimbledon's sort of uh, rules and guidelines of all white, um, which still stand today in terms of the dress, the player's dress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it took 14 years more to shy away from using white balls as well. Incredible. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the quote here is that the ITF introduced yellow tennis balls into the rules of tennis as research had shown these balls to be more visible to television viewers. Meanwhile, Wimbledon continued to use the traditional white ball, but eventually adopted yellow balls in 1986. And going back to the David Attenborough thing, I think he was one of the first type of people to properly uh, make mention of um, not keeping up with a white ball on, you know, um, Oh, right, television. okay. So he was one of the ones that saw, sort of first sort of, yeah, I guess made mention of it, um, made them alert to the fact um and so that's where his uh input came in okay wow fascinating david attenborough (laughs) um you'll also be interested to know as well just while we're on the subject of the tennis balls Uh the tennis ball used in this movie is all cgi Um, yeah so it's ironic because a real tennis ball is often used as a stand-in for CGI characters or like yeah. when they use it when characters are standing in front of a green screen um, in effects heavy films um, so the actors know where to look but yeah a little bit of trivia for you is that the tennis ball in this movie is CGI which I find really fascinating but also not at the same time because I feel like a lot of that and like a lot of the sort of rallies and the hits like you didn't really see the ball too much like it sort of had that really big like fast paced of what a tennis match might be and especially a tennis match of uh between McEnroe and Borg in terms of like yeah just the fast paced of it um as you were expected to be against the world number one and two mm-hmm. um but yeah like it was really interesting to me like I want to go back and watch it now to see like if there were any close-ups of you know the ball hitting the rackets or not and yeah yeah, I, I guess it shouldn't, like, I am genuinely surprised about that. It is surprising, but uh, I guess I shouldn't really be surprised because you're asking these actors to uh, replicate tennis matches, like you just said, between the world number one and world number two in the world. Um, and, I mean, if they could replicate it, surely they'd be playing tennis instead of acting. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we'll get into a bit of the acting later as well, but, Finnish tennis, so ex-professional Finnish players, um, Jarko Niemanen and Veli Palahimo um, actually trained the actors into playing tennis for real um, oh, and getting okay. them into, yeah, I guess Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe's sort of movements or just the way to sort of like um, hold the racket, um, make the shots and, you know, where to move. Um, yeah, so Shia LaBeouf and Sevilla Gunderson, um, they were trained by ex-professional tennis players which probably probably relates to you know just sort of the flow of the tennis matches because you know I don't know about you but every time that I saw them I thought that you know they replicated tennis players probably really well um Mm -hmm. everything that I've sort of seen Um, and that's 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 not easy okay let me tell you a story um I've always been a bit of a, a tennis tragic um you know 
my mum used to let me stay up late, watch US Open, watch Wimbledon, watch a French Open or whatever. <clears throat> and I remember just being a kid watching. I've always been fascinated with sports, always loved sports, loved watching it. And thought, you know, I'll go outside and I can do that tomorrow, no worries. And I always thought, like, we... We, we weren't well off when I was growing up, so I didn't have the opportunity to play tennis, okay? It's an expensive game to play. Um, but I always thought to myself, I was watching, this is easy sport. I can't believe they get paid so much. Uh, it's just an easy, so you hit the ball, someone hits it back, you just got to watch, hit it back to them, and then eventually someone misses, right? <laughs> so uh, year seven, I changed schools, right? I went to... Um, a school in South Australia. Uh, I won't name them, but uh, I went there and they had good facilities and stuff. They had a tennis program, right? And here's me. I've been watching tennis for five years thinking, how fucking easy is this sport? Finally, I get a chance. So I was like, hell yeah, I'll sign up for the tennis program. Uh, it took me about 15 minutes of the first training session to realise that tennis is not the sport for me. It's very difficult. It's not easy as, uh, as young Stewie thought it was. So... I guess this applies to, um, you know, back to the movie in that, like, their, their performances, their mimicking of, uh, of being a tennis player, acting, if you will, acting like being a tennis player. Um, that's the, it, it's fantastic because it's no, it's no easy feat, let me tell you, from first-hand experience. Yeah, I think all of my tennis experience, like, I took lessons um, for, I think, a few years um, when I was young, <laughs> but, like, never really like wanted to get into it properly or fully um, mm -hmm. integrate myself in it. And every other time it's just like when the Australian opens on, like I'll go to the tennis courts and like have a hit a couple, couple of nights a week. Um, and like, that's the only real, real reason is because like, yeah, like there's a tennis tournament on, um, <laughs> I'll get out my dusty rackets that have been in the shed for a year <laughs> as well. Um, and yeah, just have a casual hit. Like I don't go hard or anything. So um yeah I guess like that's like the big difference between like these actors like they needed to um mm -hmm. and I think that they definitely did like you saw it out on the court um you saw it away from the court as well um throughout this movie like as we keep coming back to like they you feel like they really got into the character and the portrayal um and yeah. they made the viewers um come into uh you know experiencing what the character was going through as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, criminally, I mean, I know we're we're retreading some 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 pretty well trodden path in this podcast already, but I just want to reiterate: it's criminally underrated. Like, I still it, it boggles the mind that uh, this movie lost money. It's fantastic. If you're listening to this and you're wondering about whether to watch or not throw the creators of this film some money and uh and 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 buy it on apple tv or something because it's fantastic it is and we've done a lot of biopics on this podcast already and there's a ton more out there um i think of like you know i look back at all like the biopics that we've done or you know all those story all those movies that are based on real events and yeah, I definitely feel like this was one of the best ones. Um, and so it does, you know, blow my mind that it didn't make much money at, or any money sorry, at the box office. Like it lost $4 million. Um, yeah. uh, budget, thing. budget was only, it was less than 10, right? 7, 7 7.5 7 or something. Half. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. That's just, it's got to be poor marketing, poor marketing campaign or something because 
yeah, yeah I don't know. We're getting into the weeds here a little bit. <laughs> I but, mean, yeah, uh, like you think about like the hype of like the rivalry and especially back in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, and you would think that a movie that came out, say, like 30 years later, um, you know, almost 30 years later, mm-hmm. um, would actually, you know, continue that hype or make people sort of reminisce about that time and want to actually dive deep into uh, the movie and sort of like how everything came about, about what's still widely regarded as one of the biggest rivalries in tennis. Yeah, well, you know, you think about like, uh, would you go watch a movie about Federer and Nadal in 20 years' time? I'd like to think that I definitely would. Not only would I go and watch it at the theatre, I would be pumped about it. I'd be talking about it a lot before it came out. I'd be talking about it afterwards. So it's really surprising, yeah. Yeah, I think like maybe, I mean, this is just me talking as well. Like, and we've mentioned it before as well about how like some people might not, have uh, fully experienced the rivalry back then Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to say your example of Federer and Nadal now like we're living in that rivalry and so like people who weren't living in the Borg McEnroe rivalry like maybe they'll like latch onto it more to get an understanding Mm -hmm. Um, whereas you know we know what's happening at the moment in the Federer and Nadal rivalry and you know maybe 20 years down the track some people might be like hey, I lived through this. I know everything that happens. I don't really want to go and watch a movie about it either. Mm. Um, That's true. It's interesting just taking that Ferrer and Adele example. Um, you know, the landscape for a professional athlete is very different now. So uh, you imagine with the, with the McEnroe-Borg stuff back in the late 70s, early 80s, there's a lot of mystique um, around professional athletes and, and you didn't know the backstories and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that we all know about some, you know, lurid backstory between Ferrer and Nadal, but I'm just saying like a professional athlete's life and backstory is kind of a bit more well-known now just through social media and stuff. So you yeah. wonder if there's even something there to make a movie about. We've sort of touched on it a little bit, but in terms of like, looking at it a bit more um, in terms of how true the sport is depicted in the movie. Uh, We've sort of talked about the fast paced nature of a tennis match and now I'll bring up the CGI ball again. Um, (laughs) um, And yeah, I think that like away from the court, like I think that most shots like that were done on the court were really good in terms of like switching between different types of shots um i loved like the aerial shots of like you know you've got like half a court um i loved those um and just seeing like the movements and then even just like the close-up wide shots and everything like i feel like that was really good to like sort of get you into um you know the game or into the sport and like i think a lot of those shots came at the start as well and so like that really like led you into the sport itself and like how big it could be Um, Mm -hmm. But I think for this movie as well, like you got a look at the lives of tennis players like off the court, um, which I don't think you see too much of, uh, you know, in real life. Like that isn't very well documented about what uh, players are going through in their home life and what they're thinking and how they properly prepare. Like there are a couple of scenes of press conferences in the movie and you obviously get that, um, you know, you're, you can see those um, in real life, but 
I think, yeah, in terms of like the home life stuff um, and even like the interactions between players and their coaches and players and sponsorship, um, you know, people who are trying to make, well, be sponsors um, to mm-hmm. players. I think that, yeah, I think that that was really good to get an insight into in a tennis sense, um, mm-hmm. in a tennis world as well. Like I wouldn't ever sort of expect anything like that to happen and, um, you know, a couple of things sort of took me off guard as well, like how the players are sharing the change room with each other and just how much like the players interacted with each other. We saw John McEnroe attend a nightclub a couple of times with some um, other players. I'm just like, this was all during the tournament as well. Like McEnroe <laughs> was watching um, Bjorn Borg play his first round match of Wimbledon. And he was just laying on the couch or laying on the bed and like tucking into like a bag of chips or something like that (laughs) and then like his mate comes over and was like hey do you want to go out for a drink and I'm like you've probably got a game like maybe later maybe tomorrow is that how it worked in the 80s I think I think it yeah I think it probably was I think uh, players are much more professional these days or so they'd like to to have you think you know Um, but yeah I I imagine that is how it was Um, you know uh, a bit more anonymity, I, I guess, comes along with, uh, you know, I guess not anonymity. No, 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 I'm going to stick with that. A bit more anonymity um, without the social media and stuff and you can duck out for a beer with your mate um, without fear of someone snapping a picture of you, uh, uh, I guess, back then. So plus uh, the, the levels of professionalism weren't quite what they are today. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that probably is how it was. Fascinating. I know I would much prefer to have been a sports uh, personality back then than, than now. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing that I want to bring up here as well is just like the superstitions. So Bjorn Borg had a lot of superstitions in terms of, uh, you know, when he travelled to Wimbledon, you know, he needed to take the same car, stay in the same hotel room, um, and then sit in the same seat on the court, take out a certain number of towels, um, and even like preparing, you know, he had to pack his bag or have his partner pack his bag a certain way, um, the way that he and his coach tested out the, which rackets um, uh-huh. to use and take on the game. Um, you know, like all that sort of like meticulous stuff, um, like I believe like tennis players are sort of like picky, if you want to like say, mention uh-huh. Um, it that way as well like I look back on someone like Nadal um, how he has all of his like you know got to get the hair out of the way and like um, you know before he even starts serving Uh so having a look at this even in like the preparation before a match like the superstitions are always going to be there before the match or during the match and so I think that yeah really documented Bjorn Borg's superstitions that he had um and, you know, you still get players doing that sort of stuff today. How exhausting, you know? You got all these superstitions that you must adhere to before the game even starts. You're mentally spent. Well, I guess you're not. You won Wimbledon five times in a row. But uh, I'd be mentally spent by the time I even started playing the game. That's uh, It just seems like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say, I've got to say, it bothered me when he's driving to Wimbledon, right? This is Bjorn Borg, world number one, won Wimbledon four times in a row. And he's complaining about the upholstery in the car. 
Yeah. <laughs> like I get that it's like just showing you about his, his superstitious process or whatever, but I couldn't help but think you pretentious quit just <laughs> drive in the car and go to Wimbledon and play the game. You know what I mean? It yeah. just bothered me. <laughs> just like don't I'm not I'm not on the movie. Great movie, but the character of Borg bothered me a lot. He, he really annoyed me. And you wonder if um that was a conscious choice by the filmmakers because um you know at the time McEnroe was seen as kind of the problem child, you know what I mean? With the with the 80s, with your 1980s glasses on. Yeah. John McEnroe is the is kind of the problem child. And and um it's interesting to see it with your uh with your 2010s or 2020 glasses on and uh you know just a just a different slant, different angle, and you, and you kind of say, okay, well, maybe maybe Borg was a, a, a little bit of a problem, but in a different way too. Yeah, well, we'll dive deeper into character portrayals now, and so you can, you know, say a bit more about Bjorn Borg's portrayal. Uh, mm-hmm. So look into the cast itself, and so we had Severa Gunderson as Bjorn Borg. Uh, the world number one tennis player. We had Shia LaBeouf as John McEnroe, the world number two tennis player at the time. And we had Stellan Starsgaard as Lennart Bergelin, um, who was a retired Swedish tennis player and Bjorn Borg's coach. Um, those were sort of the main three characters. There are obviously other characters uh, throughout the movie, um, you know, such as Mariana, um, who was Borg's fiance. Um, and a string of other tennis players that the two met um, throughout their 1980 Wimbledon um, road to the final. Um, but yeah, I think that those three were the main ones. So you mentioned that, you know, you didn't really like the character or the portrayal of Bjorn Borg. Um, no, the, the portrayal, the actor's performance, brilliant. It was fantastic. It really added to the movie. It was great. But uh, I guess my issue, and I think this is how you're supposed to feel watching the movie, is just the way the board character is written. I mean, he's he's rude to his wife or fiance. You know what I mean? Like she's just trying to give him a bit of a pep talk and say, you know, it'll be okay. You get out there and you'll win. And he fucking turns around and says to her, Oh yeah, everyone says that. When's your big game coming up? Like what a dickhead! Yeah. And then he, he he's rude to his coach as well. Um, yeah, yeah. He just uh, like nothing wrong with the portrayal. The portrayal was fantastic. Uh, I think just the the character of of, of Bjorn Borg in the movie. Um, yeah, I just don't think I would want to be friends with that guy. And I think that you know you sort of saw where these like feelings and like these outbursts by Borg might have been coming from as well like you got a real insight into his upbringing and just like the way that he was coached when he was younger Mm -hmm. um and then there was that really you know I think important scene where his coach was like I'm going to let you play in this competition on one condition and he's like I'm not going to apologize and the coach is like no I want you to never show any emotion ever again yeah. Um, and that sort of shapes the person that um, Borg sort of became as he grew older. And so, like, you are going to sort of experience, like, all that, like, built-up possible anger and angst 
um, you know, he's going to take it out on some people if things aren't going his way. And especially when all the media are saying like, you know, McEnroe is going to challenge him for the title and then um, just everything else that sort of gets into his head. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's going to take it out on his fiance and he's going to take it out on his coach. And yeah, I think like at that part, because I think that they happen sort of like simultaneously or in like, um, you know, back-to-back scenes or very close anyway. Um, you know, like you really got the sense that he was like in some ways like becoming a bit of a villain in like what we sort of expect or what the film sort of shows McEnroe to be you sort of saw Bjorn Borg become that person. Yeah, thank God for his family that he did retire when he was 26 because if he was that much of a prick when he was playing, uh, I bet you they were really delighted when he uh, when he stepped away from the game. Hopefully he chilled out a bit. Well, um, I did see that he actually broke up with his fiance in 1984, so I don't know. Um, I'm surprised. That, that, was, that was obviously the year that uh, he retired as well. Oh, um, oh so I don't know. Yeah, right. Wow. The mind boggles. Yeah. yeah. Um, just uh, touching on the other performances, uh, Shia LaBeouf, fantastic as John McEnroe. Great. Brilliant actor. I've waxed lyrical about him before on this podcast. And uh, Stellan Skarsgård was, uh, you know, he was he was just a Skarsgård. He, he was brilliant in every scene he was in. To sort of get into the characters themselves as well. So Sabina Gunderson and Shia LaBeouf, they both grew out their hair uh, for these roles, um, which I found really good. Um, it's a filthy it's a, hair in this movie. <laughs> <character>. <laughs> um, I think they both did really good, did really well. And as we touched on multiple times as well, like to really get you into uh, feeling, you know, a certain type of way about the character. Um, I think that they both did really well. Um, so in an interview, Goodnison uh, talked about his preparation for the part and stated that he spent six months in which he trained 15 hours a week with two hours of tennis and four workouts with a personal trainer uh, to get into the role. But he also said that he hadn't, during filming, uh, he never met Bjorn Borg, um, saying that they'd meet after the shooting of the film. Um, and I think that was similar to John McEnroe as well. So um, Shia LaBeouf, uh, he actually reached out to the production company himself when he heard about the script, um, say, stating that he identified strongly with the character of McEnroe and felt that he was, of a, misunder- he was a misunderstood person. Um, and, yeah, praised the script, calling it brilliant, cried when he read it for the first time. But he also said that he hadn't met McEnroe about the role um, saying that he was eager to meet before he sh- before they shot. Um, but then again, I did actually read John McEnroe's actual comments and apparently the production company never reached out to him. Oh, right. Okay. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be like a networking thing or, or a budgeting thing or something, mm. considering it was that Scandinavian film alliance or whatever that produced the movie. Can you imagine if it was a big budget, you know, US studio, they would have brought Borg and, and McEnroe in as, as consultants to the film. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. So a quote from John McEnroe saying, I don't know if they're planning on doing the whole movie without input or any type of arrangement from me or Bjorn. I haven't seen anything and they've already started the movie. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're at all interested in talking with me 
I don't know how you can do it without ever meeting me. Maybe you could talk to a few of my friends. I can barely remember what it was like 31 years ago when I was 21 years old. It could be entertaining. If it's good, it'd be cool. Let's hope so. Yeah, right. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Yeah, interesting. McEnroe was more concerned with like the film's authenticity, um, you know, hoping that the actors weren't looking foolish on the court and, um, you know, actually mentioned that, you know, it's difficult even for tennis players to reenact what they did. Um, so how is an actor supposed to? Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, we sort of talked about that a little bit later. And I think that's a fair comment, but obviously we talked about the months of training and the professionals that were helping the two actors out. Um, and so, you know, they did played really good tennis um, when they needed to for the movie. Um, People often say that uh, John Macaron and I have, uh, have, have similar thoughts and feelings on things, so that doesn't really surprise me that much. Yeah. Um, and this, like, was, this was a joke, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> um, yeah, and one thing actually McEnroe um, brings up here as well, which we haven't talked about, is that he was questioning whether they might interwine it with real footage. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't believe that there was any um, throughout the movie. Like, even on the scenes where it was playing on a you know small television... Um, I don't think any of that was archive footage at all. No, I think the only, um, I don't even know, you wouldn't even call it archive footage. There was, there was some still photographs of, mm. uh, of Borg and McEnroe, um, you know, as the credits were rolling at the end. But uh, I was curious um, about that. I, I, I was keeping my eyes peeled to, to see. And, and, and no, I think you're right. Even the stuff where it was being watched on the screen, it was still the, it was still the actors. Um, it wasn't the real deal. Yeah, like the first sort of scene that we saw of young Bjorn Borg, um, you know, training and hitting it into the um, doors or the side of a building. Like, first time I saw that, I was like, oh, is this like, you know, archive footage? Is this like what his family just shot on like a little camcorder type mm-hmm. thing? Um, but it wasn't. Um, no, that's his yeah. son, right? That's yeah, Bjorn so, son. Yeah, yeah, it definitely yeah. is. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the trees. He's a bloody dead ringer for his old man, isn't he? Yeah. So Bjorn Borg's real son, Leo Borg, um, plays young Bjorn, um, mm-hmm. and I believe Leo is a tennis player as well. Okay. Um, so he's an actual tennis player himself. Uh, yeah, he's a tennis player at the moment. He's only nineteen years old, so. Starting to get into it. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, highest ranking of 814. So still got a little bit of a way to go before he gets to number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got to start somewhere though, right? Yeah, that's right. The best uh, Grand Slam singles result was a third round uh, game in the French Open junior uh, side of things. Okay, so I wonder if he's even played the... Uh, well, he must have played some of the senior circuit to have a ranking, right? So uh, I wonder if uh, I wonder when he will make his Grand Slam debut. Yeah, that'd be mm. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess just like looking at um, Leo Borg, uh, just mm-hmm. when we're on that topic, um, you know, the filmmakers just sort of saw that he was his best 
or the best tennis player for his age group in Sweden. And so for Leo to sort of do tennis um, in the movie, um, you know, that production company just like point and shoot and Leo would know what to do. And even uh, Stellan Skarsgård praised him as well, saying he's a very good tennis player, but he's never been in front of a camera before. And I was thinking, what is it that makes him so good at acting? And he went on to further say, it's because of the focus that you have to have to be a good tennis player is the same focus you have to have to be a good actor. So that's some high praise. Yeah, yeah. So we've had a look at the actors and, you know, their portrayals of their real life counterparts. Was there any, and, you know, we've obviously talked about what we don't like about the certain characters. Um, was there any character that you found yourself relating to in any way, Stewie, in terms of maybe it was like a line that the character said or characteristics of them as a whole? Well, you know, the uh, the movie prompt is the one I'm least prepared for. This is this is probably the prompt that I struggled the most with. But I think we both covered this one already, Chase. Um, we both said that... Uh, we would be McEnroe's if uh, if we were if we were professional sportsmen. So I feel like we've we've answered the question. I think it, I think it's McEnroe all the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I agree. I think that yeah, we determined earlier that we were both going to be or would be McEnroe's on the court. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but we'll leave it at that. I think like another thing for me as well um, is just like the sort of fanfare and like over the top uh, supporting and yelling of someone like a Bjorn Borg um, and maybe towards his actor, um, Severa Gundersen, um, like he was a very handsome individual. And so like, maybe I would find myself like screaming if I ever saw him as well. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We've now come to the one of the final segments of this podcast, and it's where we ask the question, if you could have a tennis movie get made, what would it be and why? But I've decided to change it up on you, Stewie. Uh, you've just come back. Um, you're all... <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I thought I'd change it up for you, just for you. Okay. What do you got <laughs> for me, bro? Lay so it on me. This week we're taking a look. It's not too different. But we're taking a look at if you could have a tennis movie based on a rivalry get made, what would it be and why? So we obviously have Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe, um, their rivalry. There's been countless others since as well. Okay. So I've got a few suggestions in mind. Um, Obviously, from an Australian standpoint, Nick Kyrgios, Bernard Tomic have uh, been trading barbs in the media just recently. Um, a couple of bad boys at tennis, um, one much worse in skill and behaviour than the other. <laughs> so I guess I wouldn't mind seeing that. I think there's like, um, just getting away from the rivalry thing, I think there's like, just in the past five, six years or so, there's like a good breed of young Aussie um, male tennis players at the moment as well. I guess there's a couple of women too. So just a, just a movie kind of focusing on that was my idea before you sprung this surprise on me, Jase. Um, I think that'd be really cool to see, um, you know, because they all seem to sort of be coming up at the same time. And I just feel like that'd be fascinating. But uh, if there was to be a movie about a rivalry, um, I think Sampras Agassi. I don't think there was any real needle between them. 
but just a couple of supreme players, seminal text as far as tennis goes when I was growing up as a, as a young fellow, like I mentioned before, staying up late, watching, uh, watching all the tennis. They, they were the guys, man. They were, they were really good. And there's a couple of uh, fascinating little subplots in there as well that uh, it will be good to, good to investigate. So a Sam Perez Agassi film, that's what I want to see. Nice. Yeah. I like the uh, little reference there to, you know, a Nick Kyrgios or a Bernard Tomic and, you know, I guess even a rivalry, if you want to call it that, between saying like Nick Kyrgios and all the tennis purists. Um, you know, we're, <laughs> we're experiencing that now um, yeah, in yeah. Wimbledon. Um, and, you know, another just like fun little rivalry, maybe Novak Djokovic and the Australian public um, in terms of his anti-vax stance. <laughs> Surely any, uh, you know, any sports fan slash screenwriter worth their salt that's coming up in Australia at the moment. Yeah. Um, surely there's a few treatments going around um, <laughs> with that as the basis of the movie for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but now I think like, I think back on, you know, all the rivals, all, all the rivalries that you see, you know, nowadays, um, and, you know, like you've got the big three at the moment in terms of Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. And like granted Federer um, is still recovering from an injury now, but, you know, you still remember um, that it was these three for so long. And if you want to include someone like Andy Murray in the conversation as well, you know, like, oh. okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We'll focus on the other three then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Murray's not on that level, man. My God. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, like they all have a rivalry like with each other. Um, and so like if you want to make it like a three-way rivalry, like you could always do something about like those three, especially like, you know, um, I'm pretty sure like they share, you know, the title for most of the... Um, grand slams that are happening at the moment as well and for many years um you know since up to now as well um and like they're all pretty like even against each other as well like you know Djokovic Nadal um you know at all tournaments um they've played each other 59 times and Djokovic is leading 30 to 29 um, wow. Djokovic Federer they've played each other 50 times Djokovic leading 27 to 23 and then Federer and Nadal, they've played each other 40 times um, and Nadal leads that 24 to 16. So it's really even between those three. And so, I mean, like this might be a bit of a cop out um, as well, but like I think that a film focusing on those three and just maybe like, you know, the past sort of 10 years or 10 or 15 years focusing on those three and just like what it sort of takes to beat each other, um, I think that could be a really good movie to look into. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I think that is something that will definitely happen in the future. This is an unprecedented era or it has been, and I guess we're still in it because they're still, you know, Nadal is still winning things. I think he, he just won the last major, not major, the last Grand Slam before Wimbledon, French Open. Fantastic suggestion. I think this kind of movie is a foregone conclusion. Um unprecedented period of dominance um, involving these three players. Um, and we're unlikely to see another three players like this again, particularly in our lifetimes. So, yeah. 
great, yeah. great, great suggestion. Leave Andy Murray out though. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we now have come to the end of the episode. So, Stewie, would you like to share your social media handles with us? Okay, mate. Um, you didn't ask me this, but I'm going to plug it anyway. Listen to me after extra time. Summer series uh, happening at the moment. We're touching on stuff outside of football a little bit. Had a couple of weeks off because I've been crook, but uh, yeah, yeah, we got a good episode coming up, uh, focusing on. Uh, you know, everything that's happening in America at the moment. It's safe to say that country is a mess. But to uh, to um, answer your original question, <laughs> please direct uh, all your Ash Barty-related hate to at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter or at Stewie the Sports Guy on Instagram and now on TikTok also. Um, so, yeah, check me out. Will do. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Jace Irves. You've been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view any of our stories, be it sport or culture. We are also covering every round of Wimbledon um, as that wraps up as well. And you can view all of those articles on our new look website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.